Let's pray before we get into our text this morning. Uh, Gracious God, we know that you are present with us, and we trust that in your word, through your spirit, you are teaching us. We ask that as we desire more and more to yield to your love, that we might better serve our community and serve one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The book of Ecclesiastes kind of stands out among the books of the Hebrew Bible. And one of its most well-known texts is from the third chapter, uh, where the author speaks about times and seasons that affect everyone. And I've written as a paraphrase so that we can kind of hear the text in a, a new but similar way. And that way, if you're very familiar with this text, it will help you detach a little bit and it will allow us to ground ourselves in its reality. So, approximately Ecclesiastes 3. Life means that everything happens at whatever time it happens to everything and everyone. Whether that's a season of life or a season of death, a time for growing or a time of uprooting or being uprooted, sometimes a season of harm, sometimes a season of recovery. We all have seen that there is deconstruction and reconstruction, at one occasion crying, at another laughter. Sometimes the right time for gut-wrenching sobs. Sometimes the right time for top of your lungs singing. Whether you have seen a time of gathering in preparation or a time of dispersing and giving away, if you are now in a season of holding loved ones close or a season of stepping back from them. Maybe you know what it is to give up looking and what it is to keep searching. The right situation to put something back in the drawer and the right situation to throw it away. Whether a time of repair or a time of destruction, whether an occasion to hold your tongue or to put your thoughts into words. Sometimes there is deep love and sometimes there is bitter hatred and violence and peace. So if you have not heard or read this passage from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, it might be a bit baffling to you. And even if you have heard it before, it also can throw the rest of us for a loop. What kind of a scripture text is this? And at first glance, it appears to be just a list, a long list of things that happen, positive and negative, seemingly saying that these things happen at the right time and context or at the wrong time and context, but they happen. It's kind of a bit of a downer of a text. And the book of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. And we've talked before about how wisdom literature is teaching us how to live in the world righteously, even when other things are going wrong. Not about forming strict rules for how to live, but about a character that can discern and decide what is holy case by case, situation by situation. Wisdom literature often deals with the challenges and the difficulties of the world without sugarcoating it. It's not poetry, or at least not usually. 
but it focuses on the practicalities of living life. Sometimes there's a story or a narrative, but often the story is focusing on the same goal, teaching us how to become righteous people. So the author here is reflecting from their place of extreme privilege. And they tell us, if we had time to read it, at other places in the book, that they had everything they ever wanted. That they spent money excessively. That they sought and bought every kind of delicious thing and delightful pleasure that could be obtained. And yet they still experienced the challenges of life. All of life's seasons, not just the good and easy ones. Now, the author's not trying to make a moral judgment to say that all of these are good or all of these are bad or some are good and some are bad, but rather reflecting on the reality of it all. They're neutral because they happen. And the portion of the text that we heard paraphrased is directly honest. The author says, life happens. There is no escaping its changes and seasons. And perhaps as we were reading and paraphrasing, you felt some of that sentiment. You see that life, that your life, has many seasons. And you feel the anxiety and the joy that come along with that reality. You may be in a season of planting. As you add new things to your life that help you live healthy and whole. You've picked up a new hobby. Made some friends or strengthened some old friends. You might have been adding things to your house, doing some building projects, completing a formal education. Maybe you're in a season of refraining from closeness with your loved ones. Perhaps they were crossing too many boundaries and you needed distance for your own safety. Maybe you made a mistake and there's a gap now and you don't know how to cross it. It could be time or location or miscommunication. But whatever your reason, it is a season of distance. You might also be in a season of staying silent. Maybe holding your tongue as an attempt to offer to support without judgment to someone you know that's in a challenging time. You could be holding your tongue as a method to keep the peace. And maybe you're staying silent, not by your choice, but by someone else's. Perhaps you're in a season of recovery. This can be any kind of recovery, not just health concerns. It could be emotional recovery from time spent in situations that made you feel threatened. Could be recovery from people-pleasing or from something serious that needed outside support. You could even be in recovery from your own self-hating behaviors, making slow but steady progress to being healed. All of these places, all of these truths are realities of being alive. The writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to remind us that no one, no matter how resourced or unresourced, relevant or irrelevant to the affairs of the world, no kings, no mayors, no field hands, no student TAs, escape life's ups and downs. So what do we do about it? Sure, it's a comfort to know that everyone struggles at times, 
But how do we live with the knowledge that no matter how good our situation is, that difficulties are coming? And how do we hold on to hope in our most challenging times to believe that good also is coming? Let's read from the book of Job, chapter 38. We're going to do verses 1 through 7 and then 12 and 13. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place so that it might take hold of the skirt of the earth and the wicked shaken out of it? So we have a book change. I don't always do this in my sermons, but Job and Ecclesiastes are very much in the same genre and the same themes are found in both books. They're talking about how to live lives that are righteous, even in the midst of challenge. And the book and story of Job is much older and much earlier than Ecclesiastes, maybe even written down and constructed before Abraham was born. Uh, But if we're considering the way our life seasons challenge us and can make us feel unstable and we're looking for something to hold on to, then God's words to Job at the end of the book are a great place for us to land. Just like the author of Ecclesiastes, the story of Job tells us of someone with great privilege who experienced trials and challenges. Job's wealth did not protect him from loss, And the book itself has many different themes and questions and purposes. But we're going to consider something that God says to Job at the end. And in this passage, which is three full chapters long, by the way, God is reminding Job and Job's friends exactly who God is. The words that are used here, the frameworks that are used to construct this story should help us imagine a courtroom. There's a lot of court language. If Job and his friends have brought arguments, this is God with lots of evidence offering a rebuttal to all of their conversation. We hear God's statement, maybe the first one, a little harshly, but it's intended to be more matter of fact. Who is it that shows up to offer badly thought through wisdom with useless empty words. Prepare yourself, God says, because I'm going to remind you of just what you know. And then God goes on to name these things, the creation and ordering of the whole earth, the establishment of time and celestial order. These comments serve as a reminder of God's greatness, the way that God is beyond and so much more than any created reality. First, God reminds Job that the very foundations of the earth 
were laid by God. God measured the space that was necessary. God checked that everything was straight, corrected all of the right angles. There was no humans, no creatures, no earth at all, but there was God establishing and preparing the world. As God laid the cornerstone, the angels, the stars in the sky, the sun, all rejoice, singing and shouting aloud. Then in verses 12 and 13, which is the last portion we read, God reminds Job again that without God, there would be no mornings, no evenings, no days to change, no weeks, months, seasons, and years. God says to Job, even time itself owes its existence to me. Now, if we were doing a study on the book of Job, we might hear this more as a study in contrast. The things that Job believes he does and knows, the things that his friends know and do compared to God. Uh, But for our purposes, I want us to consider this God's reminder of God's greatness and our challenges in contrast to that. When we notice a change in our life, when we become aware of a season that we are in, when we see it coming from a mile away, how do we handle that change? How do we accept that challenge? We do it by knowing that though we are affected in great ways by the realities of life, God is not threatened by it. God, who created the orbit of the moon, who planned the distance between the sun and our earth, is not challenged in the same way that we are by our everyday life changes. God cares deeply about our days, where we are, where we find ourselves, our worries, our concerns, our joys. But God is not threatened by them in the same way that we are. God knows our seasons the realities of our humanness, and reassures us that we are not left behind. When we feel tense at the start of a new season and we are afraid of what is to come, God sees us and loves us and draws close to us. But God is not capsized by our worry. When we rejoice in a season of great happiness, a good turn, a hopeful outlook, God draws near and rejoices with us in love. But God is not telling us that this means we're the best, that we're the most liked of creation. God's love for us does not change. Life and circumstances happen all the time. That's a fact, says the writer of Ecclesiastes. But our feelings of instability because of the reality of being a human and our changes of life, our up, our down, our up and down again, is not what God experiences. God who loves us and acts in love for us is not under fire from our measly human challenge. Our lesson from these texts is that we can be fully confident that God is greater than any circumstance we find ourselves in. And when life happens, 
we can receive God's peace. James Bryan Smith is an author and different uh, minister who uh, has written a book called The Good and Beautiful Life, putting on the character of Christ. And he talks about this in a quote I want to finish with. And he's talking about God's closeness to us, God who sees us and joins us in our challenges, a God who says to us in our struggle, come on, we've got this. And a God who says to us in our joy, be at peace, rest in joy. And Smith says that when we find ourselves in good and bad, we should say, I am the one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.